because you're jumping back into the gap. All right. Hey, Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Amazing to welcome Southern Utah head coach Todd Simon to the podcast. Coach Simon led Southern Utah to their first ever Big Sky Championship during the 2020-21 season, as they were named Big Sky Conference regular season champions, after finishing conference play with a record of 12-2. and The team finished the regular season with an 86% winning percentage, which was the best in the program's Division I history. Coach Simon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. A lot of fun things we can talk about. Let's start with Basically, that the 2021-2021 uh, season, you guys averaged 84.2 points per game, third in scoring offense behind Gonzaga and Colgate. How did we do that, Coach? You know, we we, we played with really, really good tempo. Uh, that's that's kind of where it starts. you got to get the possessions up. Um, and so we're trying to get the ball out of the net and trying to score in the first 10 seconds is a big, um, you know, big deal for us. And, and, and our guys really run the wings and, and we keep the floor space. So that's been a big thing. But more, also, we're, we're an attacking team. We get to that free throw line a lot. And uh, we want to live at that. We want to be downhill attacking team. And, and when it's, it's easy to score more points when you're scoring when the, when the clock stopped. Yeah, a lot of fun for your team. And uh, it obviously led to incredible success for the program. A lot of first evers. And uh, was this a, a buildup to this point where you could put this in full force in terms of this tempo and the scoring offense? Because obviously yeah. you built this program from the bottom. Yeah, you know, we were, when we when we initially got here, you know, they, I think over the course of, you know, three seasons, we'd we'd averaged around four Division One wins a season, and uh, so we we knew we had to kind of start from the bottom. And, and and one of the things that we wanted to do was we've always played fast. Yeah, UNLV played fast at Finley Prep, we played fast, and and so we knew we were going to get there, but we had to kind of catch the talent up to match the system. And and in the first couple of years. We were really good defensively, but we really couldn't shoot. We really couldn't finish. You know, we weren't we weren't overly skilled, and and that evolved. It really made us a better team because we figured out ways to use guys that maybe aren't uh, considered shooters on the scouting board, and um, and we kind of d- developed a little bit of a system to keep some guys on the floor and, and put them in positions to su- succeed. And and then this last year, we we were finally able to increase our skill, increase our shooting. And, and then we saw the offensive numbers skyrocket from there. Yeah. Great, great stuff. And uh, you mentioned getting the free throw line. I'm wondering, cause we've probably never dove deep into that on the podcast. Is it teaching? Is it drills? Is it emphasis video? What, what helps your team get to the free throw line the most? All of the above, you know, and we do have some, we have some great athletes. Um, but one of like a couple of our major tenants, I mean, we're trying to get in transition and transition help side is very difficult to be on time. Um, so there's, there's opportunity there to, to attack that paint in, in the half court, everything that we do is about rim pressure. And that's, if you simplify, that's what we're trying to do, whether it be off the bounce or back cuts or post-ups, we're trying to really pressure that rim and make defenses collapse. And then we'll get you in rotations and or create driving lanes. And and so for us, the uh, 
we really work on our two two foot finishes in the half court. We really work on uh, a million solutions to to what the defense might provide, and and in doing so, um, I think it's really helped us get to the line because we, we guys kind of know when they get down there what they're going to do, and 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 that that skill is really important in in, in a building block to our offense. And you've also mentioned practice stats being a big part of it. Is the do the practice stats help with this emphasis too in terms of paint and yeah, getting the rim? Absolutely. So we we break down and stat all of our uh, five on five in practice, and we're we're talking about you know non paint twos, non paint threes, paint touch twos, paint touch threes, rotate threes, um, transition offense, ball screen offense, screen action, restricted twos, block twos putbacks, edge drive, 45 cuts, extras and hockey. We're going through all that, those things and guys are just getting used to seeing it because of what it is, is we're breaking down where our offense really comes from. You know, our edge drives, you know, are largely turned into flip the post-ups. That's a tenant of our offense. If you can't get head and shoulders to that rim before help comes, we want to flip the post, collapse, get our cutting series going. And uh, so little things like that and just doing it every single day uh, has really helped us. And then we'll watch it on film and we'll watch and say, hey, look at this finish. This finish is off one. You landed 20 feet under the basket. <laughs> Here's off a two pivot game. And you're going to give yourself these three options by doing so. And and uh, and that's all we just try to do a lot of teaching. So flip the post that's turning a drive into a post up. That's what you mean. Yeah. Driving that traditionally call it Barkley. Yep, yep. Hard edge drive. We flip the post, and immediately, part of part of our our motion, you know, we know the highest number on the floor is is, is forty five cutting or, or, or rim cutting. Um, we're getting split action on the strong side, you know, weak side shooters lifting, and we just they just know as soon as they feel that post up, that's what we're doing. Um, and 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 we've had success with that. And sometimes you know we'll cut two guys if you're a non-shooter type guy on the weak side, we'll, we'll send second cutter a lot of times. And all of a sudden there's lots of space and, and we've been, we've been able to score with that, but it's, it's been really good for us. So there's a lot of, a lot of cutting in our, in our, in our situation. So it's an automatic cut. So once they flip the post, they turn the drive into the post up the 45 is an automatic cut. It's and then automatic. a non-shooter can cut as well. Yep. We, we, we give, give that guy a count, you know, give him a bounce to, to, to see the middle. And then it's an automatic cut lift behind on the weak side. And, uh, you know, and if we have two non-shooters on the floor, you know, maybe that other non-shooter just knows, hey, your role is, is, is to be a second cutter. And so, you, yeah, and you've talked about putting a lot of pressure on the rim. So that's one way you do it, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, what, and it builds in natural offensive rebounding. Um, all of a sudden, now you get that middle post up and this guy's cutting. It's hard to block that guy out on the move. And, and so we've, we've been able to find offense. And that's ways for us to keep, you know, we always want to have about three shooters on the floor and what the defense considers shooters. And, and so th there's ways for us to keep a couple of guys that, that maybe the defense is, you know, sagging off of, but also keep those guys honest. And that's a reality of, again, where you're coaching a little bit. You can't always get the five perfect players, but you can make it work in different ways. And that's one way you've done it with cutting, which is applicable to high school coaches in particular who don't necessarily have five skilled players all the time. There's no question. And, and, it, and there's a randomness to it. Um, you know, we just have these triggers, we call it, and say, okay, here's where our cutting occurs. With if, you know, in our middle ball screens, for example, that the side with two guys, we're, we're always going to 45 cut or we're going to uh, um, 
flare it or we're going to set a pin down. But we're always going to have an action on that on the the pair side and a lift on the single side or or stay depending on which is strong or weak side. But but we're that's that's a given in our offense. So it's a randomness to it. We're going to middle drives. We we don't want to get deep paint unless we have an opportunity to finish. We're, we're, we're we want to pound the high paint, and that's such a hard place to help too. So we want to collapse defenses, get on two feet in the middle of the floor, you know, right that that dotted line, the free throw area. And then we got cutters, you know, we got fill behinds, we got and and just automatic, you know, if you're on that that wing and he picks it up, you know, at that high paint and pivots, that's a, that's a rim cut. And and maybe that, you know, a back door from the corner and then one guy coming over the top for a pitch back. And we just work on these things. So it's random, it's playing, it's it's not a something that coaches can sit there and take away on a scouting report. It's just going to be guys being able to play in space and, and have reads and, uh, and it turns into pretty, pretty good looking basketball. It does. And I, I watched some of your clips to get ready for this and it's, it all starts from spacing obviously. And then you can see your players uh, cut and play off of that. The one kind of feedback I'd love to hear from you is what are you telling your players in terms of emptying cuts or to hold cuts? Because sometimes it seemed like some players held the spot. Sometimes they seem to empty. So what's the trigger there? Yeah, some of it's per personnel. You know, we have some guys that are designated shooters. And if you're a designated shooter, we don't want you to be a 45 guy. We don't want you cutting to that rim. We want you filling behind the cut. And so some guys, you know, which adds a little bit of an element of randomness to it. And, and, and sometimes guys know, you know, they're, they'll, they'll wait and be a second cutter. Um, and so they're kind of reading it a little bit. And sometimes it ends up with a log jam. Sometimes you'll have, you know, wings cutting from both sides or whatever, and you'll have this whole collapse, which worst case scenario, you end up, you know, with the middle of the floor open. And uh, um, so we've, we've, there is just a randomness to it, but the designated shooters are always holding. And, and, and that helps, you know, keep that floor spaced. Um, going back to the practice stats, uh, I'm also curious then how you're sharing the information, the learning from that, uh, how are you sharing that with your players? And then what, what stands out as most important to be able to share with them? Well, every day we start practice, we have a, a, a whiteboard and we, we just, we chart our defensive, um, breakdowns and you got to get to an 80% every day. And, and if you're not at 80%, you know, we, we start with something for you, you know, to get, okay, I'm five reps from being an 80% you know, then, then, you know, that it's just kind of a little bit of a, it becomes a competitive thing. Yeah. And, and then we do the same thing with rebounding. You know, we, we don't do any rebounding drills and every year we're top 30, top 50 in rebounding in the nation. We do no rebounding drills because it's just part of our culture and we're standing it. And we make sure it's being reinforced in everything that we do. And, and, and we, and the third thing that we do is our, is our shot analysis. And, and that's where we're, grading shots on a one through five basis and saying, Hey, we, you know, you guys average a three and a half. Okay. You're going to be all right. You know, or for example, our last practice, you know, we're, ch we're charting, um, you know, we had 11 first side or no ball reversal possessions, you know, for zero points. You know, we talk about paint touches all the time. We want to touch that high paint. You know, we had 12 paint touch possessions for 20 points and guys after a while, they start seeing the numbers and then they start feeling what that means on the floor. And then they just buy in. And, that, and that's kind of how we start our practices and talking about what happened the day before. And then we show it on film 
bring bring you know whether it's in the film room or bringing the iPad down to the court and saying, hey, this is what we're talking about. Yeah, that's cool to hear. So those three things are every day for your players. They'll know those things at the beginning of practice. Yep, every day, about 15 minutes before, they all gather up. They want to see their scarlet letter if they got, you know, where they where they stood. And uh, But then also the offensive stuff, they, they know. And, then, and by two, three weeks into it, they know. You know, and all of a sudden now they're coaching themselves saying, hey, that, that's a first side shot. We can get this on the second side you know, let's do this or, Hey, uh, we need to get a paint touch. You know, it starts to become their offense. Yeah. It's great stuff. And, uh, no doubt creates a competitive environment. One of the challenges of keeping score and players, obviously knowing that you're keeping scores, they sometimes learn how to cheat the score. They know they have to get a paint touch. You know, they're going to go out of their way to get the paint touch instead of sometimes do the thing that makes sense the most. I'm wondering if you've experienced that and some of the things that you've done to be able to prevent your players from gaming the game, so to speak. Yeah. So we, we, what we are, a lot of our games are, are not predicated on, we might not say, Hey, you got to do X, Y, or Z just because of that. Our guys are smart. You know, if we say, Hey, you know, we're, we're only scoring at the rim, then everyone just packs the paint, you know? So we, we, but we, so we just standing after the fact is good. Cause so now it's okay. You're letting them play, letting them make those decisions. And then they can see the, the, what happened after the fact and, and 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 hopefully we just try to empower them to change their decision making the next time around so connecting all this then back to transition and then the offense putting pressure your rim pressure motion what are some of the emphasis initially in terms of getting into the half court are we if we're not scoring in transition are we flowing into ball screen we're flowing into cutting game what's happening yeah so in transition you know we want to you know we want to get downhill and really one through four, even one of our fives, I'd say is equipped, get off the glass and we're going, we're not bringing a guard back. We're, 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 we're filling the X's. We want to get to the corners. Um, we don't get high and wide, almost like the coach's hash. And then we're just leaving incredible space where only the one and the five are crossing half court, you know, off, off the sideline. And that's, it gives our guys a chance to get guys in back pedals, get them downhill. And then our initial looks at, we can kick it up. That's what we want because there's rarely ever going to be a good help side. So we want to kick it up. Oh, it's, you know, we also want to go into a trail ball screen with that one and five or kick it up and the five can go set a trail ball screen on the wing, which turns into an open side ball screen. And so we're trying to get all these things quick and make it just defense to make all those decisions on, in a very, you know, quick, quick manner. Um, we'll also get into X action where we'll cross the highway and, and that, and, and, pitch back to the guy from the coach's hash and give him a chance to just drive middle, middle of the floor. Um, and then some will go into a trail ball screen, then into that pitch action and have that big kind of seal up. So those are kind of our main things in transition, but the key is to get to those X's. Our first three steps are head down sprinting, you know, everything about our programs, attitude and effort. And that's what transition is transition offense and defense is attitude and effort. I think it's way harder to do coach fast than to coach slow and control everything. There's so many more possessions. You got to get guys to do things at a high level of energy and effort, thinking fast, making quick reads. And, and that's just what we just try to emphasize and be about our program. And, and, uh, but once we get in the half court, you know, those positions are pretty meaningless. It's, we got a handler, which a lot of times is the point, but usually, you know, we got a handler, we got a big, and then the rest are the same. And now we're just moving around where we're, uh, 
you know, just trying to um, attack the space and then get into those concepts we talked about, whether it's a trigger from a middle drive, a trigger from a ball screen, you know, and, and, and those, those pair options and, or the single side option, or we getting into a post up, getting into a flip to post. We have all of our, here's how we play basketball from, you know, scramble from, from freelance. And, uh, but it's a, but there's a pattern to it. There's a motion to it. Guys just kind of know their, know their reads. So, and we're going to come back. I want to get here more about the spacing template that, that allows you to be able to play this conceptual, these triggers that go with it. But before that, you said two really cool things that we got to talk about. One is head down on first three steps, which is this concept of when you run initially in transition, you shouldn't look for the ball. You want to get space, get to speed and space first, right? Exactly. We, we, we don't want that kick ahead to be in, in before half court. Like we're not going to throw that until it's maybe at the 30 foot mark, get down, get down the floor. And, uh, and then we can get you from there to where you're two dribbles from the rim, the 28 feet, 30 feet, you're two dribbles from the rim if you're on the move. And, and so we we want to put that ball where we can actually do something with it, as opposed to just kicking it up and essentially letting a defense load up. So that's an important, important tenant for us um, is to get to those X's we call it. It's great. And then you also have said this twice, really a good help side in transition, which is such a key understanding for players. And I'm wondering if that especially applies to trying to attack the weak side with a kick up hit ahead. There's no question. You know, the, we try to do what we don't want to face. You know, transition D is just so demoralizing. Um, and, and, you know, we really want to play sideline to sideline as well as, you know, people thinking north and south, and that's great. But we also want to play sideline to sideline and shift the defense. So if we can get a, a kick ahead opposite, and all of a sudden that defense is scrambling, that guy's coming out of the hole, um, and it's usually, that's a tough closeout. That's a tough closeout. And this guy's got an option to attack either direction, and then you're going to have shooters all with their feet set and hands up on the weak side. You, you're giving yourself a chance to have a great shot within – sometimes two seconds of, of uh, the shot clock. And then all of this feeds into what you've talked about already with triggers and stuff. And I want to just go a little bit deeper with that in what you call modern basketball. So for you, what is modern basketball for your team? Well, just, you know, pace and space is kind of where everything's going. Um, probably very NBA centric for what we're doing. Um, and we, we enjoy that, you know, there's, there's timing based offenses, you know, Hey, said, double away here, double crossed and, and wait for this, wait for that, this, that, that, you know, t- that's not really who we are. I want to, I want to be able to um, plug and play guys and give them room to make plays uh, really get their skill level up so they can play off the bounce. Um, know when to catch and shoot, know when to drive, uh, know the footwork. So that's our, major pillar of our offense so it's up to us to create a, a pace and space type system where we can guys can take advantage of that skill set and, and then it's just about playing together but you know our emotions you know we're, we're teaching these post-up entries and what happens after that which we talked about we talked about the baseline drives well here's what we're doing on baseline drives here's what your reads are okay if you this guy helps over and he can and you see those numbers you flip at the post and we just turn the floor you know, everyone's you run shell and you guard, you know, top down. We want to turn the floor as much as we can and then manipulate where help is coming from. 
Um, you know, we talked about ball screens. We were going toward the single side. You know, we're going to X behind. We're going to uh, lift. We're going to, you know, set flares or pin downs with those double sides and, and try to move the tags. We're going to try to move pieces. We don't want those top gaps filled. We want, and that's part of the reasons we really feel we were one of the lower uh, turnover teams. You know, and a lot of that has to do with our spacing and just giving guys the handlers room to make plays. Um, you know, if we're booked to run a ball screen toward the double side, you, you're, you know, of course you get the lift on the weak side, but you know, we were 45 cutting out of that slot. So there's space or we're going to flare that guy, or we're going to pin down there. We're going to do something. And then, uh, you know, we talked about the middle drive, you know, that's our trigger box. We, we put a box basically from the hat dotted line to those elbows and say, Hey, if we get in here, this is our trigger box. This is going to trigger cuts. This is duck ins from the bigs. You know, we're going to, we're going to flow behind. It's some, some dribble drive concepts to it. And we just tried to adopt different things that we liked into one package that made sense for us. And, um, you know, and it's, and it's kind of worked. So guys just kind of know, okay, when stuff breaks down, which most of basketball does, here's how you play basketball and it'll translate anywhere you go. And, uh, and that's what we've tried to instill in them. Third in the country in scoring offense, coach. I think we can say something beyond it kind of worked. I think it worked. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. It's a lot of fun to watch. And I encourage people that haven't watched to go watch. And uh, two, two phrasings, which I liked, which you just shared, turn the floor and trigger box, which is really cool. I imagine the other part of triggers is obviously having counters and you reference that a little bit. You must be spending a lot of time on teaching your players, you know, how to counter certain defensive coverages. There's no question. And, and most of our, most of our stuff starts with a, with a really quick hitters. We're running primarily, we run a lot of sets we might not have elaborate three side sets, that type of thing, but we run a lot of stuff and, 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 and a lot of it's just, okay, let's, manipulated the defense, get a quick trigger here. And so that once it breaks down or gets to the second side and we're just playing now, all of a sudden the it's an open side ball screen instead of a covered ball, you know, and so there's just little things that we're going to do. Um, and we're always looking at what a defense is. If we're playing a pack line defense, we're, we're going to get to the edge because they don't want you to get to the edge. If we're going and we're going to lift the floor up, if we're going to play, you know, a denial team, you know, that's going to be, you know, middle entries with back doors and, and it's just going to be a different entryway into what we ultimately are going to get into, but we're going to have those quick hitters based on what the defense is doing and, and, or what ball screen coverage is going under. We have a whole series of stuff that, Hey, we're just going to keep moving these ball screens lower and lower. We're going to get it to weak side. We're going to, you know, we ghosted uh, or slipped. We call you know, slip action is when we not set the screen, go to the rim. Our ghost action is when we would get to the point of the screen and then pop up to the three. We we had three illegal screens, for, and we were a primary ball screen offense last year, and we had three illegal screens for the entire year. And, and because we ghosted and slipped just about everything and just drive behind it or reject. And it it's, just creates confusion. And then late in the game, when you need to actually set it, it, it has a different effect. So it, we just try to be a little non-traditional in how we do things. So with that, that's, that's fascinating. So with that, with you ghost most screens, is there a call to actually set the screen? Yeah, there will, there will. Yeah. And more so we'll just be, Hey, you know, we're guys just know, okay. We're, we set a lot of guard to guard screens. We don't, we were very positionless in that because still 
people want to maintain their matchups and switching teams. Our, our three man to six, seven really shoots it, really plays. Our, our one is, you know, an absolute rocket downhill. Those are two different matchups. And most people don't have guys that can guard both of those things. You know, whether it's a six foot point guard and a six, five wing, both are going to have problems on that switch. And so we're, we're really looking at a matchup based um, offense. We're really looking for, okay, what can we exploit? And then we just exploit it until they take it away. And, and that's always going to be what we're about, but yeah, we have, we do have calls for that. Um, and we talk, we'll talk about it and say, Hey, no, we're sitting in this particular play. We're setting it on, on this double side ball screen. It's always reject, even though it doesn't look at it. And then later we'll say, okay, our counter will be okay. We're coming off this now. Okay. This is the guy that's going to be open. And, and so the, the guys have really bought into that. I think it's tremendous. It's a tremendous way to think the game and the modern game too, is to say, like ghosting is our norm or rejecting is our norm. And then actually the counter is to use it. And that's, yeah. that's tremendous. That's tremendous thinking. And I think coaches will continue to think that way about things that are now flipped from traditional to what modern is. Yeah, no, it is. It's just, it's just, it's just flipping the thought process, you know, because what everyone works on is the traditional, you know, everyone works on the same shell. Everyone works on the same, okay, contrived ball screen coverages. And, and, and so for us to do stuff with fast and quick and, and, and non-traditional, that's something that's going to be a little different that day for them. And, and no matter how much, it's not going to be what you worked on for a hundred days. And, and, and we, we like that about us. Well, I love that. You're going to stimulate a lot of thinking with people listening to that. And uh, coach, a lot of us remember you obviously from Finley prepper that's where we first heard about you uh obviously tremendous success there and uh i'm wondering what the takeaways at this point in your career are from having that experience of working with again elite players at that high school or that player development level yeah you know finley was a it was a player development program masquerading as a champion that I mean that's really where we were was just about the gym and the weight room and getting better and 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 the mental part of it. I mean, we spent so many conversations and living with players for six years. I mean, that the informal uh, education process of sitting in a living room with 12 players and, and watching a, a, an NBA game, I mean, it's incredible. And learning the psyche of what you say and what they hear are two very different things. And, and so you have to re-engine. It made me re-engineer everything how I talk, how I teach, and, 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 and have to teach it in a way that I know that it's going to connect. It doesn't matter what we say. It just matters what they're going to know and do. And really do is more than know. So all these things sound great, but you have to have something that they can do. And, and, and so that's where we've kind of tried to make things kind of simple and, and, one right answer in a lot of cases, but no wrong answers in some cases. And, and, and so those are the, some of the lessons, but it really applied the prep school deal back then really applies to what college basketball's become. College basketball's become prep school <laughs> with the, with the transfer deal. We guys get picked up and left any day of the week. We brought in top 100 guys left and right, deep teams, 12 division one players. And they didn't, and they always stayed. And, and because and it wasn't like we didn't coach them hard, but I think you have to make it worthwhile. They have to feel, per if you're feeling personal growth and you're feeling part of a team and the families, it's something that's special. 
they stay. And I think that's where Division One basketball is with the transfer portal. Players have to feel like they're getting better, they're valued, they're part of something bigger than themselves, and it will stay, they'll stay, and it'll work. It's the prep school level all over again. And uh, so that, that really prepared for this experience. That's great. And diving a little bit deeper on a few of those things. One was managing goals, managing expectations, managing egos, however you want to phrase it. That was such a huge part of that. And it's still part of the huge experience you're going through now. So what are some of the practical things that helped you be able to manage those things? Yeah, I think just conversation. I mean, they don't care how much you know and they know how much you care is is a big thing. Um, Keeping the main thing the main thing, you know, with these guys. And we talk to these guys and, and, and know that, like, there's a lot going on, but basketball's the epicenter of most of their existence while they're while they're a hooper and and so we have to talk to them on their terms and say and i think when the terms are laid out hey this is this is your role and this is why you're you're you know in putting stuff on paper and making it abundantly clear it takes some of the emotion out it it really helps um you know guys kind of uh navigate these waters and, and so we try to just take out some of the gray area and simplify their lives we're kind of 18 to 23 is a tough age you're you're in the, you're in a life transition and sometimes the, there's a lot of fog and we and part of our job as coaches is to kind of clear that fog and let them kind of see clearly and, uh, and that's what we kind of envision our staff as, as having to do with that experience and obviously all your experiences since then What's your opinion on some of the things we can do better for grassroots basketball? And, uh, you know, when we talk about prep, AU, high school, whatever we talk about. Yeah, and, and I'm, on, I'm of the um, belief that it's better than ever. And we have more participants, more basketball. Um, That's I'm great like, to hear because most people are always knocking it. And I couldn't agree more, Coach. Yeah, I mean, it. it the, the doom and gloom is always, you know, how it is. It's get a little older. generational. Yeah. 15 <laughs> years ago, it was so much better. No. And, and, but um, as you, my opinion, like, okay, now is the, the new prep school wave. You know, when we created Finley prep, we were new and different. And, and, and I said, these should be in every state and people were like, this is crazy, but what's happening. I believe it's, it's developing the higher level talent when you're going against when you have 10 high-level scholarship players going against each other, that's great. And I love high school basketball. There's a place for that and the whole thing. But I think there's, a play, there's, a, there's room for both. There's room for both. And, and, uh, and, 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 but I just believe that that competition is helping. Um, I think the specialization is hurting. I think you're starting to see some burnout. You're seeing injuries. Uh, we love multiple sport guys because you have to adapt. And more about the psyche of it. I mean, if you're playing football in the in the fall with a team of 100 guys, and then you turn around and you have to play basketball in a completely team sport where football is really a niche sport where you just have your position, do your job, you're going to be okay. Basketball, you have to make it work with five guys on the floor, and then and then turn around and and, and run track. You're you're really from a mental standpoint, you're always working. Those guys come to college and they always work because that's all they know around the clock on the year is is working 
Hey coach, brief interruption of our podcast to talk about basketballimmersion.com. The best player development is coach development. Many websites will provide you ideas on what to teach with a massive content dumping. Our website shares what to teach too, but with a focus on how to teach, how to add challenges, how to create random practice, how to create game-like training, how to connect and transfer practice skills to game applications, and so much more, including 70 plus master classes from coaches from around the world. Basketball Immersion is an online basketball coach education platform. Go to basketballimmersion.com to learn more today. And, uh, do, do you, coach, with that, do you also feel like those type of, because I always found multi-sport players team to, seem to be have a better psychosocial adaptation where they can adapt better to different people and different groups and because they're just around different people all the time. 1,000%. In the basketball grassroots culture, you usually have a, a hierarchy, a star. Someone is getting their name in the paper. And then they come to college and they have to assimilate to a role, to a team, and, and, and proceed. It's different. You go from being told and feeling one thing in the social media stardom of high school to maybe redshirting, maybe being a 10-minute-a-game guy. Whereas the multi-sport athlete, who maybe is a you know, tight end on the football team, you know, understands that there's a, there's roles on teams, you, you know, maybe he becomes a uh, relief pitcher in baseball in the spring, you know, where, where he understands that dynamic of being part of the team where basketball doesn't always lend that in the grassroots culture because it's such a star laden deal with a talent gap. Um, so that's part of the, I hundred percent agree with you that the, that psychosocial element is easier for the multi-sport player. Yeah. And you, you mentioned this, that, you mentioned Finley Prep as a player development program. I'm imagining Southern Utah, you're a player development program. And then you've already connected that. So I just want you to go a little bit deeper on this. Is that one of the things that your players, Finley and currently they value is that they're, they feel like they're having a worthwhile experience, this personal growth. And that goes hand in hand with player development, doesn't it? It does. You know, player development isn't just getting in, in the gym and getting someone 500 shots. Okay. It's explaining the why of what you're doing. Um, you know, I watch a lot of workouts and I just shake my head. I'm like, you're working on stuff that'll never happen. Again. Me too, coach. Me just, too. <laughs> so, but I think the conversation piece of saying, Hey man, like your shots are going to come from catch and shoot. I mean, this is great. The, you know, crossover, crossover behind the back step back is great, but you're never going to actually use this outside of pickup. And, um, so those conversations and, and understanding where these skills apply to the game. I think that was something that we really wanted to re-engineer in our offense is say, hey, this is what we're working. We're working on baseline drive flip the to post to, today. And this is this is where it fits in our offense. I think that's the element when guys come back from summers and they've had a great summer of training. And it's like you worked on something that probably isn't ever going to be in your <laughs> in your role sheet and so we try to combine the two hey this is what we're working on when it's just you but this is where it's going to fit in basketball and here's where it's going to fit beyond southern utah in the world of basketball you know if you learn to be really good off of a of a 45 cut weak side um you know on a weak on a strong side post and you're able to finish off two off that pass. And, and that's going to, you're going to use that 10 years from now. 
that's going to still apply. And uh, so that we, I think just having that skill development is so much more than just the actual action itself. It's, it's the conversation. It's the bigger picture. Well, I, I love this conversation because, again, I think we're both supportive of players going and learning any crazy thing they want on their own. Even if they're doing it with their trainer to a certain extent, they got to have fun and they got to try and reach beyond their level and build their confidence through their skill for sure. But it's your job is what I'm understanding as a coach is to focus that and connect those skills and decisions to actual game situations. And I love that because that's really what our job is as a coach to take those players and connect them. There's no question. I said, we are, my job is a coach. We come to practice and my job is to prescribe exercises. If you, if you just bear, take, strip it down, I come there and I prescribe these guys exercises that we think are going to apply to winning. And we do a drill and they do it well. We just move on and say, okay, that, okay, that was supposed to take 10 minutes. You mastered it in two. We move on. Like I, I just tell the guys all the time, I'm just here to prescribe the exercises to get to where we want to go. If you master them, we can move on. We probably play more than anybody in the country. We play a lot. And because the game is five on five, <laughs> the game is reads, there's weak side, there's, there's spacing. So we try, we've, as we've done this, we've evolved less of a drill team, more of a competitive team. The other day we did a drill, and, you know, and just kind of broke some things down and there was no competition, no score. And it felt so bizarre to me. I couldn't even remember the last time we weren't competing in some sort of drill. We always have a score, always, but it was just a teaching time, but it just, it made me realize just how much we compete in everything we do, because that's paramount. That's paramount. That's going to create, uh, you know, lions and lambs on your roster. So you talked about this personal growth. I'm curious then with that, how do you help players understand they're improving, even if they're not playing as much as they want to? And that obviously applies to your Finley situation and to your college situation. Yeah, we put stuff on paper. And we just say, hey, this is who you are. Here's, this is who we are as a teammate. This is who you are off the floor. This is, you're an energy giver. Or, hey, you're an introvert. You know, this, but this is where you can use that to your advantage. Or, hey, this is, you know, you're an influencer. Here's what we can do. But not only those things, but then on the floor as, as well. Here, here's where you're struggling. You know, you, you, if we get you to your left hand, the data says shows, you're going to pick it up. You know, or, hey, every time you go left, you're, 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 you're picking, you know, you're going to, uh, you know, give it up. If we get you going to the right, you ain't giving it up. We try to really use all the, all the tools to, you know, at our disposal, whether it be um, synergy or Ken Palm or hoop mat, whatever may be the case. We try to just use our tools to show them because there's, there's no emotions in numbers. They're facts. And, and some guys think everyone thinks they're nice at the mid range jumper. And then we'd say, okay, I literally had a player. I said, you're a 22% guy. I'm a, and by the end of three months, we'd green light it. If you can shoot 45% from there, we'll allow you to shoot it. And what, after three months, he was a 22% guy. You couldn't believe it. <laughs> you know, it's just, so we try to use numbers to teach because it's, it's not emotional. And um, so that, that part of it is a big deal. But putting it on paper, I just think, I had a player come in last January and said, you know, he wasn't playing, but we just said, oh, you know, anytime you feel like you're not getting better, you're plateauing. We got to talk about it. Let's talk about it. And he said, I just don't know if I'm getting better. You know, I was getting so much better for four months. I feel like I'm the same player right now. 
And so, well, what do we got to do to change that? What is it, you know, what are you doing in your, 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 you know, and then we kind of put a plan together and, and he's, again, now he's going to have a big impact this year as in, it's just having guys take ownership in it. They're doing it for them. They're not doing it for me. That's a huge step in player development. Another part I'd love to hear your thoughts on are this, this notion of connecting players, obviously with diverse talent to this common purpose. Cause I'm imagining you got lots of repetitions of that through your development as well with these different teams you with all the way from Finley to UNFZ, obviously now to being a head coach. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you connect players to a common purpose? Yeah, we talk about it. I mean, there's nothing that goes un, un, untalked about. And we talk about individual goals within that framework. You know, every year we do this exercise. I'm sure everybody does, but how many minutes do you want? And, you know, we have the, we have the form, how many shots do you want? Then we sit back and say, okay, well, there's 200 minutes a game and you guys want 600 minutes. And, <laughs> you know, we're going to get X amount of possessions a game. But if everyone averages what you want, we're going to score 380 points a game. Like, it's, here's how do we cut this thing? How do we make it work? And sometimes we'll even give it back to them and say, okay, knowing that there's 200 minutes in a game, knowing that there's X amount of shots, now tell me how many you're going to get. And then you come back and we work it, work it down to where you create a realistic expectation. Um, and then just try to explain, like, this is how this works. You know, there's guys that score more, create more offense, get more opportunities. This isn't, this isn't, you know, communism basketball. It's not, this is, this is, those that are better get the shots and enjoy to be really, really clear with that. We, we really talk about it. We really open it up and, and talk about it. And, and players are generally accepting of honesty. That's what we're finding. There's no question. There's no question. The harder, the, the, our better players are harder on than our, than the rest of the roster. And I think that has always resonated with the rest of the group that they're going to be held to a higher standard. And, and the other guys be like, Oh man, this guy's an all league guy and he's getting, he's getting the business every day about shot selection and making the right play. You know? And I think just, you know, so much of it is you can't let one um, breakdown occur, you know, a bad shot. We always just tell guys, and they, they know is you're telling the rest of your team that you don't trust them. If you shoot a bad shot, it's, it's telling four other guys, you do not trust them enough to pass it to them. And, and, when they think about it in those terms, a lot of times guys are, are wanting to be a part of the team. They want to do the right thing. So that that's, but that's been helpful for us. It's great. And uh, another thing that I know you got a lot of repetitions with is this, this notion of caring for the mental health of your players. You talked about that Finley situation of these 12 players being there in this house and tons of repetitions to be able to understand and explain this. So help us understand a little bit better, this piece of mental health coach. Yeah, you know, we've really, um, this is still a game. This is still supposed to be fun. Okay, this is something they started playing at some point in their life because it was fun. Um, and in basketball, so we, we want the emotion. We want, we, we like the individualism because, you know, within the team framework. But we want this to be fun for them. Um, so that's, that's a big deal. Because I think when the enthusiasm is there, a lot of the other stuff takes care of itself. Um, but we're also, you know, these guys go through a lot. This is a whole different deal. I mean, we've been going through COVID and, and uh, the world is just, there's different pressures on the 18 to 23-year-old world than was when 
I was that age. And so, you know, we're, we're, if guy doesn't want to go, the guy needs a day. If I can't, if I can't get done and get in place in a hundred practices that we get between workouts and everything and guy needs, needs a day, then that's on me. <laughs> that's on me. And the team knows that, Hey, that, that everyone's going to go through some stuff at some point in time. And we would, we just want our guys. Um, I'd rather have a guy at, at 90% feeling good and in a good, good space, give me a great practice than four straight days of 30% knowing that his head's in the clouds because of something going on. And so we try to just be really cognizant of, of those things and give them a, a support structure. But we talk a lot, do life skills classes and stuff like that and try to organize, help organize their thoughts. Yeah. And that's got to be, again, connecting back to what you said about the, dealing with the modern player is that, you know, obviously we want them to be healthy on and off the court, but that also helps you with what your goal is, is retaining the player in your program, doesn't it? When you show you're caring like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's all, but it's why we do it. You know, like I told, talk to our staff, it's, it's not, we're not doing this um, because, oh boy, if we show we like them, they're going to stay. No, like we have to want to be a part of their lives. You know, we have to want um, to be interested in them. And, and if you're not, it, this isn't the level to coach basketball at. There's, there's other places where that relation doesn't mean the same. You know what I mean? But here at this level and the way we do it, it's just a relationship-based program. We, they're going to play their tails off for us. We, don't ha- we haven't had a bad practice, I would say, in two, three years now where it was like, oh boy, we got to get these guys going today because, and I think it's a lot to do because they don't mind going to practice. You know, we enjoy each other's company, but we're going to laugh. Like our practices aren't, you know, it's open practice. I tell our staff all the time, we'd put our practice on the internet. if We had any resources, let everybody watch it. Cause it's not about what we do. It's about how we do it. And we're always going to do it with enthusiasm and, 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 and it's going to look a certain way. I'm sure they enjoy it too, because you're playing a lot in practice coach. Like that's not lost on me. Obviously I I value that, but what I want to get your thoughts on then, or how are you coaching within five on five? Because that seems to be what some coaches struggle with is understanding how to coach five on five. Yeah, no. And and you got to stop it. You got to have your non-negotiables and the guys know what our non-negotiables are, you know, whether it be, um, you know, defensively or whatever. And, And as soon as one of those toes are in that water, you know, it's got to stop. You got, you got to, because if you're not, if you're not stopping it, you're promoting it. And so there's certain non-negotiables that you just got to stop the five and five and say, Hey, we don't give up a middle drive. This ain't going to happen. You know, and you subbing in practice has the same effect as subbing in a game, you know, and guys says, no, Hey, Oh, I don't get to play now. You took my ball away because I broke one of our, our covenants. And, and so that's that's the thing you got to have your non-negotiables of what you want to do but, and we do it in different ways we compete five and five but maybe it's three trips with a 10 second trip in between uh, in the in the middle trip or maybe we're doing innings where or um, scoring on defense or you know there's a million different games to play um to get the emphasis you want and then what we'll do is we'll play the five and five but hey we have a lot of things in, in our offense because we want to work on defending them in practice. So we might run a, um, you know, middle ball screen set, you know, go in our package of middle ball screen stuff because we need to work on middle ball screen coverages. Or we might, you know, run on our, our 
small, big, you know, cross green stuff that day. And because we're working on uh, bumping that and, and, and guarding that. But we have all those things in our, everything that we want are going to face, we want to at least have in our offense at some point. And then we just play guarding it. Yeah, it's pretty simple when you break it down that way, coach. And, uh, you know, you talked about like if you're not stopping it, you're promoting it. Uh, great. So you stop, say, for a middle drive. Uh, give us a little bit more impression. So you're not always subbing the player necessarily, but that's one of the options. What are yeah. some of the options when you stop it for middle drive? Say? You, you, you just, they just have to know because there's nothing more, like stopping five on five mm-hmm. drives guys nuts. And early in the season where you're all of a sudden you're going every possession and it's getting stopped, guys don't want to play that way. That gets old. And, and that's part of, part of what it, that's part of the effect. And, um, but we're stopping, I mean, if you, Transition defense is paramount, you know, getting back on the um, disruptive ball pressure. We don't have that, then we're stopping it. If we need multiple efforts, if a guy doesn't give a multiple effort, that's a quick way to not be able to participate anymore. Um, Giving up, you know, we defend the three middle drives. We contest everything two hands. We're a two-hand contest team. We want to be second off the floor, and we, we two-hand rebound. And that's kind of our, our core things. Like I just know if one of those things happens and the guys know the play is going to stop and it's going to be addressed. And, and the same thing on offense is different things, but, but that's how we do it. That's how we do it. And you just can't have any slippage. Well, and I want to say, like, it, you say it drives them nuts, but the alternative drives them more nuts, which is not playing basketball, right? Where you're just yeah. doing drills and drills and drills or running and running and running. So I found that players – even though some of it drove some of the newcomers nuts or the freshmen nuts initially, they bought in because they said, Oh, we get to play basketball and you're going to coach mm-hmm. us while we're playing basketball. That, that's exactly what happens every day. You get the practice plan. Guys look at it. You know, it's like, Hey, we like yesterday, you know, we, our closeouts were horrendous. We're doing a closeout. We're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do this, this, and this in order to do it within playing, you know? And so guys, I start policing themselves and say, Hey man, we, we could be, we could be getting up and down and getting better instead of doing <laughs> stations. So that's so powerful. I, yeah. I'm glad you made that connection. And the other part is it's more important to coach what you want to coach your non-negotiables in the five on five than in the drill. And I find a lot of coaches that coach the crap out of the drill, let the player do whatever they want when they finally get to five on five. And you're basically skipping that part of that. Yeah. And the other part is, we got guys that are just absolute drill all-stars, <laughs> absolute drill all-stars. And you just put them in five on five setting and, and all, because the game isn't the physical part. The, the game is quick thinking. That's really what's happening. You're processing, you're processing and processing over and over and over. This is a quick, it's a quick chess match. The way we're trying to do it. We're trying to play a lightning fast chess match. And so we want our guys to be able to think faster than our opponent. No, it's so true. And, uh, you know, you can memorize a lot of drills and that's where your drill all-stars come from because they can memorize it. And as you said, the game is quick thinking. It's much harder to memorize and be successful at five on five. There's no question. It's, and, and it's a different tenacity. I mean, guys master drills and they look great. And then and in the game, they miss a shot and their head's down and they're not doing the same thing you just worked on. So it's a different tenacity. There's a, there's you're overcoming emotions when you're playing five and five. There's no real emotions in drills. You just achieve, you know what you got to achieve. You do it. And there's not really a randomness to it. 
something, something's not just going to happen. You're not going to get a bad call or, or, uh, you know, something out of the ordinary happen, which is what happens on just about every possession. Well, you brought that back full circle coach. That's, that's, that's very professional of you because you talked about randomness at the beginning of this whole podcast that you wanted your offense to be random. There's no way you can build that without having random practice, right? Because otherwise your players are going to be too scripted. So I'm really glad you made that connection. I just believe the way we do it and the amount we play is putting experience on these tires. So our, and, and, and I think it's helped develop our players. You know, we've taken pride in our guys getting better. Um, you know, four of the six guys that we had, you know, our transfers come here and they get better. And, but four of the six guys that, you know, we went 20 and, and four with last year were homegrown guys and, and they get better. And I think it's just because of the reps, you know, you're seeing these scenarios in practice and, and you know, I'm telling our freshmen right now, Hey, you guard Tevin and Jones every day, uh, you know, who's going to be potentially player of the year of our league. Uh, you're getting better and his confidence is growing by the minute, you know, as he, as he's starting to see some success. So I think that's how you can grow that confidence too, as opposed to just doing drills. Coach, I mean, all we got to say is you started with only six wins and now you're at the point where, you know, you've won the conference, you've got a great roster back, just a tremendous job there at Southern Utah. I appreciate it. You know, we're excited. We were 20 and four last year and we brought everybody back. We had four guys on the various all league teams and they all chose to come back. Uh, and, and we've added some good pieces so that we're really excited for the season. And, and we thought we left a lot, you know, we're talking about scoring here today and, you know, we're third in the nation of scoring. And I thought we left a lot of meat on the bone. You know, our first conversations were about how many points we left, not how many we scored. So we're hoping that this year will be a extension of that. Well, much viewing for all of us, Coach, based on that, because if you're already third in the country in scoring, we know there's more in the bone that's going to be fun to watch. I appreciate that. Thanks for joining us, Coach. Thank you so much. Hey, Coach, brief interruption of our podcast to talk about basketballimmersion.com. The best player development is coach development. Many websites will provide you ideas on what to teach with a massive content dumping. Our website shares what to teach too, but with a focus on how to teach how to add challenges, how to create random practice, how to create game-like training, how to connect and transfer practice skills to game applications, and so much more, including 70-plus master classes from coaches from around the world. Basketball Immersion is an online basketball coach education platform. Go to basketballimmersion.com to learn more today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout-out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.